Hello and welcome back to the Smart Cities World podcast. I'm your host, Luke Antonio, Senior Editor at Smart Cities World. We are back for 2023 with our first episode and we have plenty lined up to keep you informed this year and hopefully entertained as well with new episodes every month. To kick things off is a conversation I had last year in 2022 with Emily Yates, formerly the Smart City Director for the City of Philadelphia and now CIO at the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority, SEPTA, as we'll be referring to it. Emily, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the Smart Cities World podcast today. Before we kind of kick off, it'd be good to get a quick introduction to you, uh, your role at SEPTA, and a bit of information about your kind of route into this position as well. Happy to do so. It's good to see you, Luke. Um, I've been at SEPTA for the last three months, so I'm very new, um, but thrilled to be here. And I think when I look back about how I got here, um, I always have a good chuckle because I hear my dad's voice in my head being like, this is not a linear path, Emily. This is not the, the path that we wanted for you. But I think that there's, um, you know, it, it's an interesting path that has really given me the tools in my toolkit to do what I need to do here at SEPTA. Um, so, you know, I started in college. We'll go all the way back to college, right? We have time for this. No. <laughs> um, but I started in college focusing on civil engineering and wanted to be a golf course designer. I had played golf. Um, golf had been a key part of my life growing up. And so I thought, can I marry professional work with a passion? And really, like, there's no better idea. Um, and now I'm CIO for the sixth largest public transit system that deals with trains, subways, trolleys, and bus lines and serves over 1.3 million um, customers every day. It's like such a, a stretch. But I think the consistent thread through all of that was developing my passion for city systems. Um, so, you know, in college, I decided civil engineering was a little too um, precise for me <laughs> and I wanted something more organic. So I transitioned to landscape architecture. And in that space, I really learned about the space between buildings, which is what cities really are, right? It's like the space that people occupy between buildings is so interesting and so impactful on so many aspects of everybody's lives. Um, it's a space we all share as residents of cities or place, um, but it can really determine your zip code and determine the quality of your life and where you, um, your trajectory. And so I transitioned to landscape architecture, golf course design was out the window because they're, you know, it, the, the economy was tanking a little bit. And so it wasn't really <laughs> an ideal <laughs> place to try to pursue. And so I got into land design and worked for private sector developers, um, moved back to the East Coast. I was in Arizona at the time, moved back to the East Coast, uh, started working in the District of Columbia's planning office under Harriet Tregoning, who is um, a brilliant woman uh, who started the smart, smart growth uh, movement and really kind of, in my opinion, put DC on the path to be livable, um, walkable, and, and kind of a great place for families. Uh, from there, I was inspired to go abroad to Germany and spend a year and a half there on a fellowship studying climate change adaptation and mitigation and waterfront development. And really, how do you start to integrate and um, affect development so that we're taking into consideration the climate impacts? Um, came back and for a brief stint lived in Montreal, trying to readjust from the amazing infrastructure in Germany um, before I came back in the U.S. Uh, but in that in that uh, time period, I helped cities develop economic development strategies, um, look at sustainability and branding, and really kind of understanding the interconnectedness of cities. Uh, and then from there, um, I got pulled back to D.C. to work in a, a transatlantic think tank. And I led the sustainable and livable cities work um, focused on public policy between cities in Europe and cities in the U.S. And really 
the key part of that role was taking um, success stories or best practices, largely in Europe, right? They're a bit ahead of us in sustainability sure. and working with um, uh, cities in the U.S., specifically post-industrial cities, about what can we take and how can we apply those lessons learned to our local context. So I really got a clear understanding of, you know, workforce development, the key role it plays, how it needs to be integrated, but what you know, the, the workforce development in Germany is not an apples to apples comparison of what it needs to be in Cleveland, Ohio, but there are components that we can take and apply. And um, so I really helped kind of coach um, city uh, colleagues through applying that to their local context. I got tired of being the person to be like, hey, that's a good idea. You should implement it. I wanted to become an implementer. So I spent some time in, in Charlotte doing that for an NGO um, and led the development of both their strategic energy action plan as a city. Um, and then also their first circular economy strategy in the U.S., which was like a huge passion project of mine. And then from there, um, being closer to family drew me up to Philly. And I had the opportunity to lead the implementation of the city's smart city initiative. Uh, it had launched in February of 2019 with an um, executive order from the mayor. And then I came in in October and really had a blank slate and sold, you know, what does smart cities mean? Here's a roadmap. It's prescriptive, um, but it allows for reaction, which was amazing because five months later, COVID hit and the world was upturned, but really the smart cities world was pretty upturned because, um, you know, the his historical, which is funny because it's like, what, 15 years, um, nature of smart cities was really about the bright, shiny objects. And here we were, we were going through a social upheaval, right? We had the Black Lives Matter uprisings happening right shortly after COVID hit. And then we had this global pandemic where we really saw an, uh, a further separation of social and uh, and, and spatial inequities in cities specifically. Um, and just what does smart cities mean in a post-COVID, post-Black Lives Matter uprising space? Um, and in Philadelphia specifically, where um, the population, 25% of the population lives at or below federal poverty level, 25% of the population didn't have connectivity to basic um, broadband uh, internet or adequate technology to access connectivity. Um, and so it was really a, a, an interesting time for me to think about the future of the definition of smart cities and what that means uh, and tee up a program that really didn't have much investment and leverage it to get um, investment in the city and help it move forward in its efficiency measures. And then this opportunity at SEPTA opened up. And um, in my whole experience of understanding and exploring and, and learning about city systems, transportation is the most critical in my mind backbone to a city's resiliency in terms of economic, social, and environmental. And so to lead innovation in this space um, and to help SEPTA come out of COVID and all of these kind of changes in culture and community um, just seemed like too good an opportunity uh, to pass up. I oversee this, uh, the sustainability program here. Um, we uh, we have a sustainability strategy where we're working to kind of support the city's efforts, uh, as well as just make SEPTA a cleaner system. And then I also oversee data policy and analytics, which looks at think data like ridership and our key card information and really helps to make data informed decisions as an organization. Yeah, absolutely. That's a pretty good whistle stop tour of the, uh, <laughs> the last, the last few years. Um, yeah. but yeah, I think it's always really fascinating to hear the kind of route that, that people take. Um, and you know, when you were kind of thinking about designing golf courses, this yeah. maybe wasn't exactly where you thought you would be at this stage, but it's pretty cool that you are. And like you say, transit is such an important thing. Um, and, and transportation networks have such an enormous bearing on the shape, uh, of our cities. Um, 
and the way they run. And as you said, on all of those various kind of policy objectives um, that cities really have at the forefront today. Um, and really, that's that's what we want to kick off with, um, is looking at some of those priorities for SEPTA. Um, you know, both operationally, what it means um, for you as an organization, and also how that then carries through to your riders, and then more broadly into the community. You know, what are some of those priorities? And what's the role of innovation in kind of achieving some of those those objectives and tackling some of the issues that you currently have? Yeah, so historically SEPTA, and I think a lot of transit authorities prior to COVID, really operated as a commuter transit service. So we focused on folks coming in and out of the city nine to five. Um, we were very peak oriented and, and catered to the commuters, but the pandemic and really the shift in how people are working aligned nicely with having a new CEO come on board. Um, and we saw that there's a need to re-envision how we were providing those services to meet our riders' needs. You know, we really looked, as always, at the data, right? We saw that there were shifts in our ridership that supported this need. And, and we really wanted to make, figure out how to make our services seamless and intuitive um, to make it as easy as possible to, to use transit, right? Like, that's our ultimate goal is we want it to be a seamless, intuitive, easy experience so that we become your, your transit of choice, your, your mode of choice. Um, so SEPTA ridership right now is about 48% pre-pandemic levels. Bus ridership is the one that's the strongest. It's back at 54. But our rail transit, so our subways and trolleys are at or 47%. And then our regional rail is up um, to 30%, which is probably our, um, our lowest kind of recovery rate right now. So pre-pandemic kind of going into the demographics, and this is important too, to understand who our riders are majority of our riders, almost two thirds of our riders are female. Pre-pandemic, it was 61%, but now it's 69%. Um, a fair portion are African-American, up to 58% from pre-pandemic numbers. We've dropped in ridership of our white demographic down to 33% from 43%. And then looking in terms of socioeconomic, 33% of our riders make less than $25,000 pre-pandemic, and that's now increased up to 44%. So really our demographics are stratified by mode. Um, generally, regional rail riders, so people coming in from the, the four surrounding counties, are wealthier and whiter and can make the choice to stay home versus coming into the city. Um, but our bus ridership, where we saw the largest increase post-COVID, um, is lower income and predominantly people of color. So we really saw that the riders that are coming back that we want to keep coming back are moderate and low income. They have disability. Um, they're older. Um and largely because they didn't have a choice or flexibility in the lives that they worked. Um, so when we saw that shift and kind of that reinforcement of who's riding our, our transit, we really decided that the vision we wanted to push forward was one of a lifestyle transit network. So as I mentioned, we want people to ride and take our trips regardless of the mode, whether it be trolley, bus, rail, or whatever it is, we want to be the first choice. So we launched our SEPTA Forward strategic plan. It's a five-year plan or early on in COVID to really set that priority. So that's kind of where SEPTA is post-pandemic, but I think it's also important to talk about where the city is because we're so interconnected. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Philadelphia is a city that has its challenges. Um, the statistic that I always get my hands slapped for talking about is that we're the largest, poorest city in the U.S. And what does that really mean, right? Like, it's, it's kind of hard to quantify what that means, but when I give the statistics around it, I think it really hits home. That means that a quarter of our population is living at federal poverty level. Well, what is federal poverty level? It means that one person is making $12,400 a year or a family of four is making $25,750.
Like that's mind blowing that people are living in our city making that little um, amount of money. We also have the largest open air opioid market. It's not something we really, really like to advertise, but it has clear impacts on the city and specifically the transit uh, and the rail. And then because of these components added into the Black Lives Matter uprisings and, and, and COVID pandemic and, and job challenges, we've really seen an increase in the issues of violence, homelessness, and drug addiction. Um, and that's impacting our ridership because people don't necessarily feel, feel safe when that ventures onto our platforms and onto our rolling stock. Um, and so while our priority remains making SEPTA a seamless, intuitive, easy to ride transit system, we also have to think about how are people feeling safe? Because if we want to increase ridership, because more riders make people feel safer, right? There's that it's a catch-22 because if people don't feel safe, they're not going to ride. So it's like chicken and the egg or, or catch-22. And so a lot of the conversation here has been on how do we deploy systems, technology, utilize data, um, all which falls within the innovation space to really support that, right? So we're looking at things like wayfinding and how do we make our system clearer um, to ride and, and more comfortable so people aren't uh, uncomfortable navigating our underground system. We're using augmented reality to test out how making SEPTA more accessible for people with uh, disabilities, specifically visually impaired. Um, we're looking at our key system, which is our SEPTA card tap system and an app to make it more easily navigable. We're doing SEPTA key 2.0. Um, we're looking at how can we leverage our 30,000 cameras that we have on our system, um, using technology to make them more effective for identifying um, safety challenges. Are the platforms too busy? Well, does that mean we should set use an algorithm that triggers a response from the police to come down and just be in the vicinity so that there's um, the perception of safety? Does that trigger a, a social worker coming down with the SEPTA transit police? Um, are we, you know, using it to identify a weapon um, on our system that we can just kind of observe? Maybe it won't become a problem, maybe it will. So there's a ton of opportunities. Um, you know, there's no shortage, but it's largely focused on ease of getting onto our system, um, mobility as a service is another opportunity and in innovation, and then also increasing the, the perception and feelings of safety as they ride. It's a pr pretty significant remit um, that, you've, that you've got. Um, and yeah, <laughs> fascinated to see kind of how you can't grips with it kind of like three, four months in. Um, and, you know, as you say, how closely linked the transit network is to the community. Um, and the city's kind of objectives. And we'll come on to that kind of a little later on. Um, I want to delve a bit deeper into how priorities for SEPTA have, have changed over the last couple of years. And you mentioned it just now. Obviously, we've had a global pandemic, um, which has just upended so much of our previous way of life. I'm sat here talking to you in my living room, which previously I probably wouldn't have been. Um, mm -hmm. Alongside that, we've had social justice issues, like you said, Black Lives Matter, even Me Too, um, and how that's impacted the feeling of women's safety, uh, especially on things like public transport. You know, how have these both global issues and social justice issues impacted how SEPSA have gone about kind of addressing issues and how it looks at innovation? as a and technology as a tool to really contribute to solving some of these absolutely enormous challenges. 
I would say that COVID and all the social justice issues like Black Lives Matter um, and the Me Too movement have really not changed SEPTA's priorities. Our priorities remain the same, that we want to provide the best services to our ridership and continue to grow our ridership um, and make it an intuitive and seamless um, journey that people take on our our lines. Um, I would say, yeah, it's just it's reinforced that we need to make sure that we're managing the needs and meeting the needs of where our riders are. And so what we're doing as an organization is we have been focusing on um, reevaluating our different services. So we have a bus revolution going on. Where we're really looking at how are we re are our bus services reaching people in the way they need to be reached? And are there ways to re um, evaluate and, and shift those to better meet the newer kind of demands that aren't the, the nine to five community? Um, we're looking at our trolley system, which is one of the oldest systems in the United States. So we're doing a trolley mod- uh, modernization. Um, we're adding things, technology like automated passenger counters on our all of our rolling stock, essentially. So our uh, Market Frankfurt line, our Broad Street line, which are our transit lines, um, our buses, and really understanding through a data-informed space uh, where our riders are getting off, where they're alighting, where they're transferring, and really just taking all of this data and better understanding the ways that our services are being used and then backing into solutions around innovation. So the APC or the automated passenger counters is a big project within the innovation department. And it's really the bread and butter of what we do as an organization, you know, knowing where people are getting on, where we're not getting a consistent amount of people um, boarding or getting off. Can we skip those to make our rides quicker and more streamlined? But then we're also um, addressing the social challenges in a way where our ridership is everyone and whether or not people um, think certain people should be riding the transit is not for us to decide. We're going to make it uh, in ways that people can ride and be safe on it. So um, we're exploring a lot around AI and machine learning right now. Those are, I think, some of the easiest lifts. Um, I talked about it a little bit earlier that we have 30,000 cameras on our system. Um, Can we apply an algorithm that really helps to address issues like Black Lives Matter, concerns around um, social profiling. We don't really want to do that on our transportation system. Um, Can we do it where women who are riding late at night feel safer? You know, I talked again about the platform being too full and sending um, a police officer or social worker down to kind of observe. Well, can it be the opposite too, where if it's late at night and there's a single female on the platform, does that trigger a response as well to make sure that people are feeling safe in those spaces? Um, So for me, innovation When I was at the city, um, I spent a lot of time defining smart cities because it's one of those terms that can be quite nebulous, like sustainability and resiliency, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. And I always roll my eyes at having to define it, but I also think it's an important foundation setting for how we're approaching um, that topic at the city or here at at SEPTA. And for me, innovation is really just trying anything for the first time. It doesn't have to be these shiny objects again that that people tend to think of with innovation. But if it, we're, we're taking data and using it in a new way, that's innovative to me. Um, if we're, we're trying a new technology that, you know, is not, it's new to us, <laughs> again, it's innovative. Uh, and so I think that there's just a, a multitude of ways um, to, to look at how innovation can be a tool to helping address SEPTA's priorities. It, it gets me excited because I'm like, one, I need more people to work with me <laughs> because <laughs> you know, I have to do all the opportunities. Um, but it can really just have such an impact with such a small adjustment of, of things, I think. 100%. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really fantastic way of, of looking at it. And like you say, I think we've seen a shift kind of like around smart city um, narrative 
uh, over the last few years as well, where it is much less about, uh, as you say, those uh, kind of shiny new objects and bringing back into focus um, outcomes and people and what decisions that public authorities, the decisions they make, the impact that they're going to have on on the public and on communities and on citizens. And you have to yeah. keep all of these enormous social justice issues in mind while you're doing that. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty significant challenge. Um, and then alongside that, the decisions that you're kind of making around innovation can help to find solutions to some of these issues in some ways. It yeah. has to tie back into what the city's trying to achieve and what the city's trying to become. And I suppose you're kind of, in a way, quite uniquely placed to kind of see both sides of this based on your previous role with the city itself, moving into public transit now, to see the decisions that you're making and the programs that you're working on, how one can influence the other. How do you see those two things combining, you know, around innovation and policy and how the work that an organization like SEPTA does feeds back into helping the city to meet its wider policy objectives and that could be around the social justice issues that we've already spoken about or it could be sustainability as broad as that term is um <laughs> you know as we look at these issues they i mean they don't they don't get any smaller because you could quite easily bring uh, kind of climate change and what needs to be a pretty significant response to that in yeah not not very much time at all really at this point yeah right the the dates keep getting closer for those key targets mm. <laughs> um and we have some key targets of our own which we're we're making some good strides towards but i will die on the hill that transportation is the backbone of any city's resiliency efforts that like you can't make me think otherwise you know and the pandemic just proved it right so I, things that i've already said we had made over 1 million daily trips prior to the pandemic that helped move a region that is literally the economic engine of our entire state. Um, you know, and then we saw throughout the pandemic where we had a drop in ridership, but we still had riders that were going to the grocery stores to stock the shelves and the hospitals and care for people who are sick. Um, and, you know, that right there sustained Philadelphia region in terms of helping with healthcare, helping with food. It was just a critical lifeline to employment opportunity and essential services. Um, but I think, you know, also transit is an economic equalizer. It preserves affordability and access to, you know, opportunity in our region. It's really a catalyst for an equitable future. In terms of statistics, because I'm always a fan of data, right? In the city of, of Philadelphia, the average household can save up to $830 per year by riding transit rather than having a car. That's the, the savings um, on a transportation cost burden on households. Annually, that household savings adds up to all, like all of the household savings add up to $481 million citywide, wow. which is just amazing, right? Um, it also reduces congestion. It's a key part of what we do here at, at SEPTA. It's um, inherently sustainable. I always laugh when people are like, you have to get more, you know, electric buses and fuel cell buses, and you have to do this, you have to do this. I'm like, 100% agree. We're not debating on this, but we're inherently more efficient than the cars that are on the street. person who rides SEPTA has one third the carbon footprint of somebody driving a car, right? So we're already helping. We, you know, in 2018, transit riders prevented more than 2.5 billion pounds of carbon dioxide emissions from entering the atmosphere. 
So again, really impressive statistics. We're, you know, in the process where we're already reducing carbon emissions just by being a transportation authority. We're also working on a zero emission bus study um, to transition our fleet fully to a zero emission vehicles by 2040. Um, we have um, launched a community solar farm. We're about to launch our second community solar farm, which means that our rail, which is electric, um, electrically fueled, uh, <laughs> runs on electricity. Yeah. Um, well, 20% of our, our electricity demand will be provided by renewable energy, which is huge. Um, we've deployed over 6,700 solar panels on our facility. So we're really contributing to the city's climate action plan. We work very closely with the city um, in thinking of that. But I think one of the points I wanted to make on the, on the last topic that we discussed and ties into the environment and, and socially is that it's what I did in the city uh, when I was working in the Smart Cities program and what I'm hoping to do at SEPTA, you know, is look for opportunities where we can address social equity issues secondarily um, to the actual tech, right? So an example of that is the city has a program called the Building Energy Performance Program, or BEPP. And it basically uh, asks buildings in the city to do an energy audit and then make low to no cost interventions that help improve the building's efficiencies. We don't have to do it because we're a state-enabled authority, but we want to do it because we are a partner. And, you know, we were looking through opportunities to do this and I realized that there's a great job creation opportunity. SEPTA has a thousand jobs currently open, a variety of roles. How can we create the pipeline to get some of those people in some of these roles? Uh, and that's lens I look through with all of our jobs. But this one, we work. We are going to be working with um, the ECA. They're a local organization. They're located in one of the lowest income communities in our city. And they take individuals out of that community and train them in things like energy audits um, and help create a, a, a job opportunity for them in the renewable energy space. And so how perfect is it to have SEPTA where we have these energy audits that we need to have done, um, provide the space and work with these individuals to do the energy audits and then implement the recommendations. Um, we're checking the box of we're being a good partner to the city. Um, we're helping these individuals uh, get experience, real, real world experience. And we're also creating that pipeline of we need people who are going to be able to do energy audits and look at our buildings and, and make them more efficient. Um, and so for me, that's a great example of how we are supporting the city's overall goals of addressing things like the poverty, um, climate challenges, uh, you know, becoming an innovation hub and really driving these partnerships. It's a great kind of circular economy example as well. Um, yes. You hear a lot of talk about circular economy and maybe not as often is it the case that you see a good example. Especially in the trans space. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think, you know, there's a lot of talk um, and typically less action. Um, but it is fantastic to to kind of see these examples coming through. And they are also examples, which is really important, which could be replicated by others, um, not just in the transit space, but by looking at that kind of model could be could be replicated by other kind of city and city agencies and departments as well yeah. uh so it's it's always good to kind of come together and kind of share this kind of knowledge and example i think um on in this kind of forum because hopefully people will find it anyway but if we can do something to put it right in front of them then yeah no i you know i think what i learned from my time at gmf 
is that there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Somebody is out there mm -hmm. doing some great things that can be applied to Philadelphia or whatever city. Uh, it's just taking the time to understand and, and how does it, how can you take those learnings and apply it to your city? But we would love it. You know, the, the ultimate goal in my mind is that we get it up and running. We do a proof of concept, it's successful. And then the city takes it on as an opportunity for their program. So if any business comes to them and says, we want to do this, uh, but we don't have the capacity or we don't have the tools, the city can say, well, we have a partnership with ECA and they're happy to bring your building in and audit it. And, and this is the process and just really kind of create a, a scalable program. And that to me is a huge success. Yeah, I think everyone in this space is a, a really strong believer in collaboration and, and partnerships. Um, yeah. And I don't think anyone achieves their ultimate goals without doing that to some degree, um, especially not when the challenges are of such a staggering degree uh, as we've kind of been talking about over the last last half hour or so. Speaking of which, I've probably taken up quite enough of your time for uh, for one day. Um, but I wanted to say a really sincere thank you um, for, for coming on and joining me on the podcast. Um, and I'm sure it won't be the last time. So yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to Emily for her time and her insight on this episode. It was a really interesting discussion for me to have, particularly to understand where the knock-on effects of COVID have left transit agencies like SEPTA, not just in terms of ridership, but also in terms of how they're approaching new ways to deliver services. We'll be back with a new episode in a few weeks. But in the meantime, don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and keep informed with all the latest news and views on smartcitiesworld.net by becoming a member for free today. Thanks for listening and see you on the next one.